I'm Rachel, the creative director for Ram Dass's Love Serve Remember Foundation, and I'd like to welcome you to our Inner Academy, a virtual Dharma Hall where our family of wisdom teachers will help you navigate your daily life by bringing ancient wisdom into a modern context. With over 200 hours of audio and video teachings, meditations, and practices from teachers like Ram Dass, Krishna Dass, Sharon Salzberg, Jack Kornfield, Roshi Joan Halifax, Joseph Goldstein, and many more, the Inner Academy is your core resource for finding balance, presence, and navigating the ups and downs of your daily life. The Inner Academy has guidance for every step of your journey. Choose from an annual or monthly membership and gain access to past and future courses, retreat replays, virtual community, and much more. If you've been familiar with Love Server Member Foundation for a while, you'll know that most of our offerings are given freely or on a sliding scale basis. So when you subscribe to the Inner Academy, you're paying it forward and bolstering our ability to continue creating accessible offerings for all in the future, as Ramdas wished for us to do. Be here now and start your journey with Ramdas's Inner Academy today. For more, visit ramdas.org forward slash Inner Academy. Teaching meditation can be a deeply rewarding experience. Help others improve their mental and emotional well-being reduce stress, improve focus, increase self-awareness and self-regulation, all while deepening your own practice and understanding. Join acclaimed author, Buddhist teacher, and Emmy Award-winning musician David Nickturn on Tuesday, May 28th at 6 p.m. Eastern Time for a free online discussion on teaching meditation in Dharma Moon's renowned Mindfulness Meditation Teacher Training Program. Get certified by Dharma Moon to teach meditation lead group practice sessions, and work with individual students. Visit dharmamoon.com slash be here now for more info and to reserve your spot for the free online event with David Nickturn on May 28th. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome to the Metta Hour with Sharon Salzberg, where Buddhist wisdom meets everyday life. This podcast is brought to you by the Be Here Now Network and features interviews with the top leaders, teachers, and thinkers of the mindfulness movement and beyond. For more information, visit BeHereNowNetwork.com backslash Sharon. Hi, I'm Sharon Salzberg, and I'm chatting today with Christiane Wolf, MD, PhD. Christiane is a physician, meditation teacher, and author. She received teacher transmission after completing Dharma and retreat teacher training through Spirit Rock Meditation Center and the Insight Meditation Society under Jack Kornfield and Joseph Goldstein. Christiane is the co-author of A Clinician's Guide to Teaching Mindfulness, and the full author of the May 2021 release, Outsmart Your Pain, Mindfulness and Self-Compassion to Help You Leave Chronic Pain Behind. 
She's the lead consultant and teacher trainer for the U.S. Department of Veteran Affairs National Mindfulness Facilitator Training and is a senior teacher at Inside LA in Los Angeles. Welcome to the podcast, Christiane. Hi, thank you so much, Sharon. So happy to be here. Um, I'm curious to know more about what sparked your interest in meditation practice. Yeah, I was actually, I came to meditation practice quite early. So I came across it uh, when I was finishing high school. I was looking for like a path of um, like a spiritual life or meaning of life. And um, I happened to meet some practicing Buddhists. And that really made a difference. Like people who actually really walked the path. I had read about Buddhism before and I kind of checked that off as like not relevant or boring in a way. It felt like so dry and depressing to me what I had read at that time. There weren't that many books out or at least not in Germany. But then really meeting people, that made a difference. And there was something in me that um, knew you need to pay attention here. Um, there's something that how they live, how they are, I wanted that. And what they did is, and I said, so like, what, what, what is that that you're doing? And they sent me to Amaravati in London. So I was living in Germany and I was hitchhiking and meeting these people. And they said, if you go to Amaravati, which is the monastery, um, like, or the biggest monastery that um, Ajahn Chah's uh, Thai forest tradition founded outside of Thailand, and they sent me there. And so as a 18 or 19 year old, I uh, ended up just like running um, or being actually for several weeks for two summers in that monastery. And that was, that was really a transformative experience. Yeah, I actually love Amaravati. I've been there several times just to offer food or, yeah, you know, spend yeah. some time. yeah. And it felt so different than anything I'd ever experienced before. And of course, there were these things like the differences between the monks and the nuns, which I was acutely aware, just like as a like young sprouting feminist. Um, <laughs> but there was also really something so, um, I don't know, just very touching and that just something that really captivated me about how they chose to live their life and meet life's experience that really has stayed with me ever since. Mm -hmm. So you started so young, you must have been practicing through medical school then and everything that followed. Yeah, the thing is, I even considered just ordaining for a year in that tradition, but then I got accepted into medical school and just like my ambition got the better of me or maybe <laughs> not the better um but um I did go to medical school but I really I really um I think it really helped me like get through the studies and I wasn't like a regular meditator or anything at that time but just to have like a bigger perspective was really helpful and of course not all meditation practitioners are inspired to the path of teaching. So what drew you to teaching? Yeah, that was really interesting because I um, um, was working as a physician and I was working in a university hospital. So I did do some teachings there, but that was in the medical field. And when I moved to Los Angeles, which was just planned to be for one year after our oldest daughter was born, 
Um, like I was um, practicing, so started practicing with Trudy Goodman and um, just doing things for the Sangha, just like, I don't know, like uh, cooking meals for day longs or like washing the cups after like a retreat or something. And it was funny. I remember like we were doing like this, um, like uh, beach meditations once a week and we're sitting there and afterwards she said, you know what, Christiana, what you're doing is really nice, but it's a little bit like you're driving a Mercedes to the mailbox. I think you should be teaching. And I was like, Oh, okay. And um, so that's how I got into teaching. So it was really like more her idea or something that she saw in me than me actually thinking like, oh, I need to spread the Dharma. Um, that was at that point really not on my radar. Well, that's uh, very similar to my own experience with Deepama, you know, so it's, it's right. kind of, it's almost like the old fashioned way. You know? <laughs> it is, like, right? And especially yeah. I'm thinking often about that or people ask me like, how did you get into teaching? It's just like, I was asked to teach. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's funny. Well, congratulations on your new book. It's a wonderful toolbox and it, it feels so timely for the world right now. And, and what inspired you to focus on that topic? Yeah. So, I mean, as a physician, so the topic of chronic pain and chronic illness is in the beginning, it was actually both, right? It's basically that suffering right there was always at, I mean, really important to me um, because that's what you work with when you're a physician or we could even go further back and ask like, why was I even drawn to go into um, medical school in the first Mm -hmm. place? Right, because there was just something about just struggling and suffering and illness, disease, all of that that felt very um, compelling as something like I need to be here. I need to really focus on this and how I can help and how I can make sense of that. Right, and it's so interesting that the Buddha was also called like the first physician with the teachings of the Four Noble Truths. Mm-hmm. And so for me, it was really um, after I started teaching MBSR, mindfulness-based stress reduction classes, it became very obvious to me that I needed to offer something for people in particular who suffer from chronic pain and chronic illness, right? Because sometimes people who are really struggling with um, physical health issues, they don't really feel seen or heard in a group of people that have I just say that like with quotation marks, like only life stress. Mm -hmm. And um, so it it just feels safer for them to be in a group with other people who really struggle Mm -hmm. with physical stuff. And um, so I started teaching there and exploring things and like, does this work? How about this? And so we really like created this learning field of exploration and really seeing like what what helps what works in with the the, the Buddhist teachings and with mindfulness and in particular with self compassion practice and then I kind of got away from that for a few years but I always knew how helpful it was and then at some point when I um, was starting to teach at the VA and teaching clinicians there I really noticed that most of the people there the clinicians they work with people with chronic pain and Mm -hmm. they don't know about mindfulness Mm -hmm. and I was thinking like oh my gosh like there's like it can be so helpful, right, for so many people. And so initially I thought I would just want to create a pamphlet for doctors and for like, 
psychologists or like whoever like works with people with chronic pain saying like, this is what mindfulness is. This is how it can help with chronic mm-hmm, pain. Mm-hmm. So that was my initial impulse. And then out of that came like, why I'm not creating something that could be helpful both for patients and for, for um, care providers and, and healthcare providers. I'm really curious about how, say, those pamphlets um, might be received because many years ago, I wish I could remember exactly how long ago, but it was quite some time ago, I went to Walter Reed Army Hospital um, to teach. Mm. It was National or International Nurses Week, and they were Mm. bringing in all kinds of people for these different programs. And um, I had a friend who was a nurse there at the time, and she arranged for me to have just a short tour of one of the wards um, before I was going to do my program. And uh, I remember that there were some number of people who were experiencing kind of severe pain and uh, they were, you know, incredibly gracious in, mm. in allowing me to come into the room and talking to me about their experience. And then we had a, a period of time before I was actually going to start. So we ended up, sitting in the chaplain's office mm. and mm-hmm. he was, he was talking to us and um, I asked him, does the hospital have some kind of clinic or something of alternative means of dealing with pain? Like a mindfulness, for example. And he mm. said, I don't know. Oh, wow. And I yeah. thought, well, I wish you did know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. That was <laughs> one part know. of it. You should know. <laughs> uh but I thought, wow, you know, I mean, the the one young man I had just been talking to, he was so worried about not being able to cope. And I thought, well, wouldn't it be great if there was yeah. at least the yes. possibility of an experiment, you exactly. know, to, exactly. to see if exactly. mindfulness could be helpful? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I really, so when was that? Do you remember? It was quite some years ago. Yeah, yeah. I mean... You've probably seen that too, but I've really noticed like, so I've been teaching like MBSR for like 15 plus years now. And in the beginning, I would rarely ever have a physician in my class. Mm-hmm. And that really has changed over the last year. So I feel like there is some more openness um, amongst the physicians too, right? Mm-hmm. And I know like a lot of medical schools now actually have also mindfulness programs because like actually going through medical school and residency is mm-hmm. really, really stressful. Yeah. And so I was actually just doing a grand rounds for, for a big hospital for their residents. And a lot of the residents there had heard of mindfulness before, which is like fabulous, right? Mm-hmm. It's just like, yay. So hopefully it's on their radar so that they can spread the word because they are such spread right? They have such an influence. Like if your doctor tells you like, look, you need to look into this like mindfulness stuff or self-compassion stuff, this is really helpful. People will listen. I uh, wonder also, I've, I've heard about compassion training in medical school. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know too much about that myself. So, but I, I mean, like, you and I know like this is like super helpful because it it helps against or it, it kind of um, protects against burnout quite mm-hmm. a bit. Yeah. 
It just, it sometimes feels like with physicians, it's a really hard sell because the physicians are so indoctrinated by this idea that they, they, they are strong and mm-hmm. they're invincible and like they never, they don't need anything for themselves, mm. right? So anything that feels like, like softening or opening or relaxing or resting um, mm-hmm. can feel really threatening, Hmm. Wow. So, um, you know, something I often talk about if I'm if I'm talking about some of the studies, some of the research on physical pain is how we can draw a correlate with emotional pain, like some of the factors that seem to make physical pain worse, like anticipation. You're like, what's mm-hmm. it going to feel like tonight? What's it going right. to feel like tomorrow? Is the same with emotional pain and. I wonder if um, that's something you found as well. Oh, oh, big time, big time. Yeah. Like even to the point where people ask me like, so like it's called like Outsmart Your Pain. The book is that just for physical pain or is that also for emotional pain? And I say like, no, you can actually use pretty much all the practices also for emotional pain. Mm -hmm. And one thing what is really um, interesting is so also really from a research point of view is that there is this huge difference between acute pain and chronic pain, Mm. right? So acute pain is basically just a protective mechanism in your system. Like you step on a thorn, like your brain goes like, whoops, like take your foot off that thorn and that's it, right? There's usually not a story around that. But then chronic pain and as I love that it's like this, the saying is like chronic pain tends to be overprotective because it comes like it comes not only with like this is in this moment, I just stepped on that thorn, but it comes immediately. And this is what I also call like the pain story. So when we're experiencing a flare up, we're not just experiencing like the pain of this moment, but immediately also experience like the baggage of the past. Like, this is what happened last time, right? I lost that many days of work, right? And, right, or like, why do I have this pain? Why do I still have this after everything I've tried? Or like, why did I ever, right? So that's like the past. So we feel that in that moment. And we also, I mean, as you were just saying, the anticipatory, like anxiety is just like, oh, if it feels like this right now, what's it going to be like later? Can I sleep tonight? Like, can I go to work tomorrow? Like, what do I have to go back on my medication? And that we feel that in this moment, right? Because the body cannot distinguish because the body doesn't know time. It just knows right now, but it feels the effect of like, like, right, the rehashing and the rehearsing on that moment. And that is so much guided by how we feel about, um, a feel about the pain. Yeah. So mm-hmm. totally same, same experience. There's one chapter in, in your book, uh, about the story of pain, as you put it. And I'm very curious about what your experience has been in working with people around the power of story and what role it might have to play in our own well-being. Yeah. Oh, that's a huge, huge thing, right? Because it's just like, as we're saying, like in in mindfulness, it's not about the experience, but how we relate to it. And how we relate to it is, of course, influenced by the story we tell ourselves in relationship to the experience, 
right? So people who have the same pain and even like the same origin kind of of that pain can have a very different experience. And that goes really back to um, like stress research, right? So in stress, it's not the stressor per se that has the effect on the body, but it goes like through our system and the in, of interpretation, mm-hmm. right? And that makes the stress response or the stress reaction. And so we can look at that story or work with that story or like in mindfulness, the first thing, of course, that we always tell people is just like, can you notice that this is just a thought? Like what would happen if you would just let that be and not engage in that? Like this the thing of like, you're not your thoughts and you're not your story. I know too that acceptance is an area that's so important for anyone that's working with challenging circumstances, but the word is really hard, you know? It's like, really hard. Oh my gosh, yes. <laughs> you know, and sometimes <laughs> I don't even use it anymore. I say acknowledge instead yeah. of accept. Same, because, same, yeah. 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 So yeah. I'd love to hear your thoughts on kind of the, problem with the way some people accept the way some people interpret it or hear it yes yeah oh that's that's huge it's huge with especially people like with severe chronic pain because right so basically we know if you are able to accept the pain as it is right now it will lower the pain level but if you tell a patient or tell a person who is like in severe pain, just accept the pain, they they will laugh you out of the room or they will get angry <laughs> at you, right? And righteously so. It's yeah. just like, I'm here because I don't want this experience, right? Are you kidding me, right? I want this to go away. And so what they hear usually when we say like, or even would use the word, I did that, I made that mistake in the beginning. I said like acceptance and like the hugging your pain, like a child. It's just like people go like, just go away with that, right? So um, what they hear is um, that you give up, right? Mm -hmm. So accepting the pain means like that you give over to the pain, that you um, like wave kind of the white flag. And Mm -hmm. then people don't want to do that, right? Um, You don't want to do that. And so same, very same, exactly like as you were saying. So I stopped using that word and, but saying like, but is the pain there? Yeah, it is. So people, we can usually make ourselves do that. We can acknowledge it. So mm-hmm. I, I also start with that word, right? And so, and then acknowledging, I have a, I have a also like a little like teaching in that book around that. So really start with acknowledging and then from acknowledging, can you go to allowing, mm-hmm. right? It's just like, okay, so allowing is, again, something that is a little bit more like, okay, I can make myself allow it maybe like a little bit, and but there is something in it that I can make myself do because I cannot make myself accept it. Because that mm-hmm. is just like, right, just like we can't make ourselves feel compassionate. It's just like I can't make myself accept something that's just not how our system works. Mm-hmm. But we can, of course, over time, look at this, work with this, and um, soften ourselves into acceptance, at least for moments, right? And that is actually another really important piece, of course, is what people also think when they feel like they need to accept this, that they need to accept it forever. Mm-hmm. And and what we're saying is just like, oh, no, 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 no. Can you, how about right now, right? 
just about right now, what would happen? What, or what would that feel like if we could say like, for right now, I allow this to be here because mm-hmm. it already is. And then people go like, oh yeah, I can, I can do that. I can do that. So what happens is a consequence of that when we can do that, uh, and we can do that, just as you say, uh, as you are calling it softening, you know, so that some of the many things, resentment, projection into the future, self-blame, that we might add to the pain are mm-hmm. not being added. So it's all together mm-hmm. an easier experience. Uh, yes, yes. But we know how hard that is to even get to yeah. that place, even for a moment. Yeah, so you must encounter people who just feel, I can't do that. This is too Mm -hmm. big. Yeah, yeah, it is. And then actually for me, it's like often where, um, I mean, I play with this idea. It's just like, okay, can you accept the fact that you can't accept it right now? Mm -hmm. And then people go like, yeah, I mean, you're kind of just messing with my brain right now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But that works. Yeah. I can accept my not accepting it and uh-huh. that that right and then we somehow like come around to just a little bit more peaceful place. So you've worked with different communities and and many communities that have experienced uh PTSD or trauma as part mm-hmm. of their physical pain challenges and mm-hmm. does that change the way you approach someone who's working with pain? Yeah, I mean um I, at this point, honestly, I approach every group or every person um, as someone who has experienced trauma mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, because I really believe we all have in some way, shape or form. And it's more about like what we define as trauma mm-hmm. um, and really to know that in a way, Like we all have had experiences where we felt deeply unseen, unappreciated, neglected, excluded, right? Mm -hmm. And often over extended periods of time as children, right? And I really believe that that has an effect. And of course, like if we look at like what they define as like adverse childhood events, mm-hmm. right? We know the the data on that is like the huge overlap that that has with later uh, mental mm-hmm. mental illness and also with um, disease and in particular chronic pain. So it's really tragic. It's actually really tragic to see that, mm-hmm. right? So not only it was really rough when you were little, right? But as a result of that, so you're still suffering from that. Mm-hmm. And that's what we work with, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's the pain right there. And to really come back to this idea that not always, but very often like pain or the way like one definition of chronic pain is to just to call it like a like a multi um, multifaceted phenomena or like like one term that we're using is like a it's like a, a biopsychosocial phenomena. Mm-hmm. Right. So that means your entire body, your entire physiology, your entire psyche, your entire emotional system, your entire like world, the world that you live in, all of that affects your pain levels, which is really overwhelming on one hand, but also helpful on the other hand, because those are things we can work with. You know, it seems to me like it's very delicate because... 
Um, once you are probing the idea that the mind, the psyche might have a role, it's easy to fall into self-blame. Oh, big which time. You oh, absolutely, time. of course, don't want to do. So it's no. something other than that. And Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's, it's, it's really, it is really tricky. So self-blame is really big. And then, of course, also like blaming on it onto the environment or blaming it onto your parents, mm-hmm. right? Um, but it's just like, no, your parents also were traumatized. Mm-hmm. Right. And your grandparents were traumatized. And this is something that I'm really thinking a lot about, like as somebody who is um, like comes from Germany and mm-hmm. out of like World War Two. Right. Mm-hmm. So the history that uh, just like like every family there, including my family has. Right. What happened in World War Two and what happened in World War One and how that is passed on. And in that way. Right. So like. One of the core teachings, of course, in Buddhism is just like it's not self. Mm-hmm. And to start to really, and I teach a lot about that, really like this, the the paradox of that things are at the same time very personal and very impersonal. And that depending on where you're looking from, um, you can really get relief from suffering, from looking at it from either side. And it seems to me also that grief plays a role in being able to accept things as they are, um, both with trauma mm-hmm. and with pain, you know, mm-hmm. that, that mm-hmm. we do, we do mourn the life that we thought we might have had that we're not yes. having currently. Yes. Yeah. Well, the thing is, I don't know what your experience is with that, but um, my experience is that people are very, very reluctant to go to the grief and do exactly that. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Right. Because in a way it makes feels like it that makes it real. Mm-hmm. That makes it permanent. Right. If I grieve the the loss of the life I didn't have, or I grieve that I can't go hiking anymore, right? Or I grieve that mm-hmm. I I mean, right? That kind of feels like, okay, that is I don't know. There's there's just I I don't know. Feels to me like a connection like with magical thinking. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And yet it's the grief is obviously there, right? Mm-hmm. And not feeling it and not naming it and not letting it move through and processing it just also really makes uh, makes pain worse. Is that is that your experience or what's your experience? Yeah, I mean, I have, um, you know, and I have my own personal uh, conditioning through my adverse childhood experiences, mm-hmm. which were many. Yeah, no kidding. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. and just the sort of sense of American culture very strongly mm-hmm. in that mm-hmm. we're, we're usually not taught how to grieve very well, oh, no. you know. No. And so no. there's mm-hmm. a, a big burden of all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember once when um, one of my friends got ill and then um, a number of people around them. It's the sort of story we hear, you know, where say somebody dies and the family doesn't behave well, you know. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. It was kind of like that. This person Mm -hmm. hadn't died but was was really incapacitated and people around them started like sniping at one another and, you know, not being very kind to one another. And a person, a friend of mine at the time said to me as I was sort of mystified at, you know, how, how awful people were treating one another, she said, don't you understand? Nobody knows how to grieve. Right. And, and right. that sort of stayed with me is, yeah. oh, yeah, this is a tough thing for us to know how to do. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. It's true. And speaking of grief and, and trauma, uh, we are recording this on August 25th. I'm not totally sure at all when it will come out, but this is a time when I have been thinking about veterans so much. Mm. And mm. I am wondering about um, what your experience is right now. Yeah, I mean, I personally don't work with veterans at this mm -hmm. point. So what I do is I'm teaching the clinicians who do work mm -hmm. with veterans at the VA. But what I'm experiencing there is the really how overextended the clinicians and the caregivers are mm -hmm. because they so feel and so love working with the vets, right? Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so when the pain and the stress gets bigger in one part of the system, the whole system feels it. Mm -hmm. Right. And then there is this also really this tendency of, um, especially in the VA, but I think we can see that everywhere where people go like, what is my pain and suffering compared to theirs? Mm -hmm. Right. And what we're seeing right now, what's happening in Afghanistan, right. Mm -hmm. Or like with the, 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 the earthquake in, mm -hmm. in Haiti, it's just mm -hmm. like, it, there's like, and I can feel that in myself. It's just like, what do I have to complain about? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. When people have lost everything. Mm -hmm. And and that is a very delicate balance, right? Because in a way, I mean, I could say that activates me maybe more to help more, but it might also activate me to overextend myself, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And then I'm of no use to anybody anymore. right. right. And that is something like that is kind of part of the teachings that we really try to convey to the clinicians is saying like self-care, like yeah. Audrey Lord saying like, this is like, we need self-care. Yeah. This is not self-indulgence, right? We need this in order to keep doing what we're doing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, it also brings up the issue of um, compassion for others, self-compassion, finding some kind of balance and, and particularly for caregivers, for want of a better word, mm -hmm. um, some combination of, you could almost say compassion and wisdom, you know, or oh, you yeah, know, the two wings. Say, yeah. Yeah. Compassion <laughs> and equanimity or something like yeah. that, you know, because yeah. Yeah. there is only so much we can do. There's only so much we can do instantaneously, mm -hmm. you know, like to get an immediate result and, mm -hmm. and it's so easy to burn out and, it's um, important, I think, to normalize all those feelings because yes. uh, I've heard, as I'm sure you have too, people sort of down on themselves for their lack of compassion. And it's really not a lack of compassion. They're uh, feeling burnt out and exhausted and, and mm -hmm. that their work is meaningless because mm -hmm. they've got a lot of compassion, but it's not balanced in some way. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And people get really confused around that, right? So like what we're what we're teaching about the difference between equanimity and indifference. Mm -hmm. And um so that indifference means you really don't care anymore. And that is a sign of burnout, right? Mm -hmm. And um but what we want is to really and coming back really to the practices of loving kindness as a foundation is like we can practice that in a formal way. 
mm-hmm. right, as a way that includes ourselves. And with that, we kind of strengthen the whole system. And that also, of course, makes equanimity more likely to arise. In particular, if we see that's just the state of the world, right? Mm-hmm. This is the particular dukkha or the particular suffering of right now. But there there will always be something. Yeah. If it's not this, then it's something else. And I'm not saying that in a dismissive way. It's just mm-hmm. like that's how the world is structured. Mm-hmm. And I really like for myself, really, I try to remember to say like, I do what I can and I need to let go of um, the expectations about the outcome, mm-hmm. right? Because that's that's really out of my control. So maybe you could give us... Um just a kind of overview of some of the tools that you use in working mm-hmm. with pain, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and for details, everyone has to get the book, but, <laughs> you know, uh, but just have some kind of practical sense. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, basically, um, what, I ask people to do is so we can look at the pain or we can approach the pain either with, and of course they're not that separated, but just to keep it simple to like with a mindfulness approach and with a self-compassion approach. Mm -hmm. And um, so it's really this idea, this is a toolbox. There are a lot of different practices in there and you practice them and then you see in the moment when you're suffering, when you're struggling, what is the most appropriate right now. And like to know how, what is the most appropriate right now is I really have started to ask the question, what would be the kindest thing to do right now? Mm. Right. So if we're coming from that angle and honestly, it's just distraction is totally part of the toolbox. Right. So sometimes people feel like, oh, now that I'm practicing mindfulness, I can't distract myself anymore. When the pain gets really bad, it's just like, oh, please, please. If you know that reading a good book or like just watching a Netflix, something is Mm -hmm. just really helps you get away from the sharp edge of this, please do. Right. And that can be really like some self-compassion practice in action right there. And I also feel like if we're approaching like pain from that angle, it's really like I really want to come from a kind or the kindest place I possibly can. The whole system starts to relax. Right. And not to um, expect that we will always just be digging into the pain, which is really not what we want to do. But what we really want to see is that we have like, we really actually keep feeling into the pain anymore with chronic pain because it's so painful, right? Of course, we want to get away from it. But then what happens is, and this is interesting, we can even see that on a physiological level or even like we can see that in brain scans, what Mm -hmm. happens, we start to avoid feeling into the body, right? Makes sense. It's painful. Who wants Mm -hmm. to feel that? But that is what happens then in your brain or in like your whole system is like you start really disconnecting with the body, including uh, being able to feel pleasure and joy. And people often don't make that connection. Right. And we know, for example, that like chronic pain and depression are very closely linked, which makes sense. Right. Mm -hmm. Having chronic pain makes you feel depressed. 
totally makes sense, right? Mm -hmm. But a part of the depression also is that you can't access feelings of pleasure and joy anymore. So it's like, it's all connected. It's all connected. And so if we are really willing to look at mindfulness, so one thing that we do is, right? So like with mindfulness, we can either zoom in or we can zoom out, right? Mm -hmm. So at times we can really say like, let's really go and feel where the pain is, right? And usually people say like, we, they don't, they're not saying like the pain is like really dense today or cold or tearing or something. They say like the pain is killing me. The pain is terrible, mm -hmm. but that's actually not a sensation, right? That's an mm -hmm. interpretation. And so that means we're actually not feeling it, right? Mm -hmm. We're just kind of pointing in the direction with a long right. stick and saying like really bad, really bad, right? Yeah. Don't like it. And so we're saying like, no, 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 you have to get close and tell me what it is. And because then people notice often that the pain is changing, mm -hmm. which often feels they, they, they don't even know that. They go like, no, pain is always there. It's always bad, right? And then they start doing this and they go like, no, there are actually periods of time where I don't have pain, which mm -hmm. I didn't know before because right. I stopped checking, right? Or I only check when the pain is there. So it's, it's really interesting. So that's the zooming in. And then we can also do the zooming out, right? Saying like, okay, are there parts in your body that are not in pain? Mm -hmm. Can you feel them at the same time as you feel the pain, right? And then people go like, oh, wow. Yeah, that's right. I have kind of forgotten, right? Because the function of pain is that it hyper-focuses the mind or the attention on it to the exclusion of everything else, right? And so we're saying like, okay, so how much of your body actually is in pain right now, mm -hmm. right? And... More often than not, people say like, oh, yeah, actually, most of my body is not in pain. So how about that? Holding that. Mm -hmm. right? So th those are just like interesting, like kind of playful almost um, shifts of perspective, which can really make a huge difference. I think that's, that's very creative and interesting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And now, of course, we have the whole topic of self-compassion. Yes, let's do that. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and self-compassion, I, I mean, self-compassion is so interesting because what it does, so in a way it's like you could say that like chronic pain keeps you in a chronic stress loop because, right, the whole system is agitated. And then, of course, you're not only having chronic pain, but the rest of your life is also happening, right? Mm -hmm. So you have relationships and you have work and people sometimes say, well, having chronic pain is like having a second job, mm -hmm. right? Because I can't just like hop out of bed in the morning, have my coffee, and then I'm off to work. No, I have to schedule like at least like an hour, hour and a half to get my body ready to get to work, to make it through the day. So, right. So it's just so much like extra, extra, extra time and extra mm -hmm. effort that is needed. And so all that stress is building and self-compassion helps to counterbalance that stress. And it does that really in a way that it taps into, right, our mammalian um, care system, right, that helps us to feel soothed and feel connected and feel more calm. And in a way, like, why wouldn't we use that? Mm -hmm. Right? And so what we're doing is we use touch, right? So you can put your hand on the area that is in pain and then really feel from the area of pain that there is like a warm hand that means well, there is a connection. 
And we're hardwired to actually, our bodies are hardwired to um, respond to that, mm. right? That can be very helpful. Or like, right, what we do in meta practice, we put our hand on the, on the heart. It's just like, oh, there's a warm hand or a hand might not be warm, but <laughs> a hand right. on, on, um, on my chest. And that feels nice, right? Mm -hmm. And as soon as we do that, like we can slowly, and of course it's not a magic trick, right? But it's like, like with practice and repetition, we can really um, like turn up the volume, like on these like softer, softer areas, right? And then of course, it, I always feel um, that when nothing helps, right? Sometimes the pain is so bad that you can't even meditate. And even thinking about mindfulness makes your head explode. Mm -hmm. But I'm, I'm always saying like, if you can then just, if you have the possibility to just lie down, put your hand on your chest or wherever you, like it feels good. And then just... Let yourself be there and see if you can kind of invite compassion in for the fact that this is so hard right now, mm. right? And that's, I feel like sometimes that's just, if we can do that when the pain gets really overwhelming, right? So even in that moment that sometimes can feel at least like a, like a little bomb. Well, that's really beautiful. I'm curious about people writing to you or letting you know that they've used your book, mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. which I would imagine is happening a lot. And, yes. Uh, I also had an image of people listening to the book because it's an audio, right? Yes, it is an audio too. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because yeah, in some ways, if you're in a lot of pain, it, it might even be hard to read, harder to read than... Yes, I've actually got that feedback. They say like... Like before the audiobook came out, people said, can you please record this? I really can't read or like mm -hmm. I get a headache or like I, my vision is so bad, like with the headaches, so mm -hmm. I can't read. Yeah, yeah. So what feedback have you heard? I mean, what I've heard really is that um, people really use this. So they're like 20 different guided meditations or practices mm -hmm. in the book. And I kept them... Um, short on purpose. Mm -hmm. I mean, that was my whole intention behind the book is keep it short, keep it clear, keep it practical, right? Because mm -hmm. like having pain is hard enough. So you don't want to read like 500 pages. On <laughs> <laughs> the physiology. <laughs> the physiology and the research and right. Yeah. Just like, no, here's it. And then I, uh, the, with the book that they, they, comes also guided meditation. So I, I also recorded the meditation uh -huh, so uh -huh. people can practice that. And it's people really relate to different things, Sharon. It's really because it's, it's such a broad array and people like chronic pain comes in so many different mm -hmm. forms and shapes, right? That I couldn't even pick one. So definitely the pain story. So to realize is like, what is actually, um, what are you dealing with right now? Is it really the pain of this moment or is it more like the emotional pain, mm -hmm. right? Is it the grief? Is it the sadness? Is it the anger that you're dealing with right now that makes it so hard, right? Or is it the the, the, the story? Like, are you mm -hmm. just like getting lost in like, I can't believe the doctor misdiagnosed it mm -hmm. or the surgery mm -hmm. didn't, right? And 
that is the hardest. And like mindfulness has such amazing tools to say like, okay, thank you, not now. <laughs> or we're not going into that story right now. So it's, it's I can't really like put a finger on, mm-hmm. on one thing. Mm-hmm. That's great. Well, I'm wondering as, as we close, if you would lead us in a guided meditation. Yeah. So as I just said with the physical touch, I find that is really, really important. Um, to explore and I know a lot of people might feel that might feel that's a little bit silly to do that that's okay you can feel that way your body doesn't know that this is silly mm-hmm. because your body is hardwired to respond to like loving and supportive touch so just inviting us all to just take a moment to Become aware of the body in this moment. Maybe noticing where the body is in contact, like with whatever you're sitting on or standing on, lying on. Just feeling that contact for a moment with the ground, the seat. If your back is touching something, and then becoming aware whether there is pain or discomfort in the body right now, either that or in your being. Maybe there's an uncomfortable emotion that you become aware of. And then inviting you to place your hand on that area. Just really, just the way like a loving parent would, like with a child that has a fever, like would put a gentle hand on their forehead. So with that same intention, that same kindness, just place a hand there if you can reach it. And really Take a moment to let yourself feel from below, so to speak, from below that there is this well-meaning hand there. And let your body feel that. The warmth or the coolness of the hand, the weight. Just the contact, the connection. And then, if that makes sense to you, just acknowledging the presence of this pain or this discomfort right now, saying, this is hard right now. Or this is a moment of pain. This is a moment of struggling. And just again, letting your body respond to that message. So really getting out of our head into the body. Letting that acknowledgement 
land in the body. This is hard. This hurts. And then, again, you can just stay here with that, or if it makes sense, you can just for a moment reflect on the fact that, yeah, this is what it feels like for somebody in your situation to feel that way, and that there's nothing wrong with that. That's just what it feels like right now. And then in your mind's eye, just seeing if you can connect with all the other people who either feel exactly the same right now or who have ever felt this way. Not in a comparing way, but just saying that you're not alone with this. Even though you might not know people who feel exactly the same, you can be assured there are many, many, many people who know this pain, this suffering, this struggle. And if you like images, you can imagine them sitting either in a circle around you or maybe imagining them at your back, having your back. So kind of internally connecting with all the other people who when you would share your pain or your struggle with them, would say, yeah, me too. I know that pain, me too. And making sure you're staying in the body. You can always make the breath a little bit longer and deeper to remind yourself that you're here. We're practicing together. And then letting the awareness just become more aware of the breath again, just receding a little from the area of pain. So either feeling the breath or opening to include the whole body in this moment. And then when you're ready, you can bring this meditation to an end. And open your eyes if you had them closed.
All right. So I don't have a bell here right now. <laughs> Ding! <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. That was really wonderful. Mm. We are not thank alone. You. Thank you. And thank you so much for joining me. And to learn more about Christian's work, visit www.christianwolf. It's C-H-R-I-S-T-I-A-N-E-W-O-L-F.com. And get yourself a copy of her new book, Outsmart Your Pain, in hardcover, ebook, and audiobook formats wherever books are sold. Thank you all for listening. This has been the Meta Hour podcast from the Be Here Now Network. May you be safe, be happy, be healthy, and may you live with ease. Hey, folks, thanks for listening. To learn more about Sharon and her ongoing teaching schedule, as well as online courses and a free guided meditation, check out her website at SharonSalzberg.com.